Welcome to the Book Club Girl podcast, where we chat about great books with awesome authors, and you, our listeners, ask the questions. I'm Eliza Rosenberry, and on this week's episode, we're talking about a book with a found family. Um, And one of my favorites that sort of involves that topic is this novel called Stray City by Chelsea Johnson, which is about the queer scene in Portland, Oregon in the 90s, and all of these people who find themselves there um, and find each other there in their 20s. And it's just such a wonderful book. I highly recommend it. I've heard so much about that book. It's so great. It seems like so much fun. I'm Tavia Kowalczuk. And I'm going to bring back a book that we actually discussed on the show, which is On the Corner of Hope and Maine by Beverly Jenkins. In that book, as you may remember, listeners, Beverly writes about families that take in foster care children. And the whole town sort of get, is on board with this foster care project. And so there's a lot of found blended families in that book. I kept thinking back to that book while I was reading the book we're going to discuss today. Yeah, I totally agree. I love that one and love Love Beverly Jenkins. Oh my God, adore. The best. On today's show, a now estranged group of former foster siblings reunites for a wedding years after a tragedy tore their family apart. We're reading the heartfelt novel, The Forever Girl, and later in the show, we'll be joined by bestselling author, Jill Shalvis. And now we present to you, Forever Girl Abridged. Caitlin has always been the one trying to keep her ragtag group of foster siblings together into adulthood. From stoic and supportive Walker, to peacemaker Heather, to Maze, the adventurous and wild one with commitment issues, this group of close friends was more like family to each other when they were teenagers, until Caitlin's younger brother Michael was killed in an accident and everyone was placed in new foster homes. Now, years later, Caitlin is getting married, and she has a fantasy that the event will reunite her beloved found family once again. But there are still some unresolved issues from the past. Maze has survivor's guilt from Michael's death and her close connection with Walker, which resulted in a Las Vegas one-night stand and wedding ceremony facilitated by an Elvis impersonator, which is not a spoiler, has been lingering for years. And in Caitlin's rush to gather her closest friends, she may have overlooked the actual reasons for getting married in the first place. These four characters must finally open up to each other about the past in order to figure out how they truly want to move forward in their lives. The Forever Girl is a heartfelt look at the bonds of found family and forgiveness. What did you think of the book, Tavia? Well, first of all, I just have to say that if it's not a spoiler, there was a wedding ceremony facilitated by an Elvis impersonator. Like, I mean, it's a good hint about the amount of drama in this book. So <laughs> totally, I loved the idea of found families. And I just really, even though two of the siblings have this sort of physical attraction, they are foster siblings, so there is no biological connection. But, you know, it reminded me a little bit about the of the TV show Friends, where each member of the family had their own personality, they had their own role, they all clicked together, they had these longstanding jokes and all this shared history. I really enjoyed that part of the book. Yes, I completely agree, and I totally could see this as a TV show. I really enjoyed the the group dynamic and all the different personalities on display here. It was really fun. Also, dogs. Books with dogs. I mean, look at this cover. There's two little cute little pugs right in the basket of her bicycle. Those dogs are so cute. Look at them. They're right on the cover. I love a book with a dog. Rolly and Polly, the pugs. (laughs) 
<laughs> I can identify after being in pandemic for a year. Yeah, I know. I was like, that's me and Tavia. <laughs> Those two books. <laughs> um, I always enjoy books that are, and I feel like there's a bunch of them. I always enjoy books that build up to a wedding at the end. You know, like they're sort of like, that's the culmination of the plot. There's so much opportunity for drama because there's so much stress involved with all of the planning and mm-hmm. all of the um, family issues and all of the details that arise. So it's it's definitely ripe for drama. For sure. My favorite character was Jace, who actually was not one of the main characters. I'm not going to say who he is, but he is sort of this secondary character. But he's so perceptive, and he has such a healthy, calm vibe about him. And I loved how he always spoke the truth, like straight up to Maze. He just... He didn't beat around the bush, and he really was there for her as her dear friend. And I, yeah. I really liked him a lot. Yeah, he's a great character. I liked how this book gives a snapshot of what it's like or what it might be like to grow up in the foster care system and what that sort of looks like. You know, it's less about their time as kids in foster care and more about like, okay, now that we're in our 20s, like what does it look like that we grew up with this sort of background? I thought that was really interesting. I I couldn't really think of another book that had sort of done that. Anyway, I guess it's time for our toast. Cheers, Eliza. (laughs) Cheers, Tavia. Quick reminder, we love hearing from you, especially now that we're working from home. Join our Facebook group, The Book Club Girls, where you can stay connected with other book lovers and pose your own questions to authors who appear on our show. You can find us at facebook.com slash groups slash The Book Club Girls. And stay tuned after the show for a short exclusive sample from the audiobook. Today, we're joined by New York Times bestselling author Jill Shalvis, whose new book, The Forever Girl, is out now. Welcome to the Book Club Girl podcast, Jill. We're so glad you're here. I'm so excited. Thanks for having me. So we love a good book wedding. Big fans here on the Book Club Girl podcast. Was it fun to write that part of the book? That was probably the first part of the book that came to me, and that was the part I was most excited about writing. I don't usually write the wedding part. You know, that's usually after the happily ever after or whatever. It was kind of fun to get to tease it a little bit in the practicing and the rehearsing. Yeah, it was all the buildup, right? It was like the rehearsal and the flow. I was going through the process of planning a wedding last year before the pandemic. And so all of the, you know, going to the florist, picking out the cake, all, you know, planning the rehearsal dinner, all of that. I was like, ooh, yeah, I remember this. I have three daughters in in 2017, 18, 19, one of them each got married three years in a row. Wow. So I think a part of this was me making fun of the whole, you know, once you're <laughs> on the other side of it, you can kind of make fun of the whole cliche of the thing. <laughs> it also really made me crave carrot cake. Yes. Why don't we have more <laughs> carrot cake at weddings? I don't know. It's so funny. So the bride in this book, she's stressed out, but she's not pretty. I don't think she's too awful. I'm sure Eliza was a, a wonderful, sweet bride. Uh, this book brought back my bridezilla moments. I was like cringing, remembering some of the things I did when I was a bride. <laughs> I mean, I think most people have a moment or two, <laughs> at least. Oh, my God. I have to call my mom and apologize. That was like my big takeaway. So one of the other elements of this book, Jill, that we really loved was this sort of idea of found family. Is that a theme that you've explored before or what inspired you to build the book around that? Well, I do write contemporary. And so I find that anytime I'm writing about a relationship, I don't have, you know, this isn't Bridgerton's. I don't have the past history. I don't have zombie apocalypses going on. I don't have people running around with guns and it's not action adventure. So 
what I found in a contemporary to make the conflicts believable, almost always it comes down to the relationships in your life. And for me, I just am fascinated by the family that you find and make your own rather than the family you're, you know, share blood with. I just think it's a great dynamic to explore. Walker sounds absolutely delicious. The way that Mays describes his appearance and personality is something else. But I have to ask, why did you make him so mysterious? You know, he was never going to be this big of a character in this book. This book was going to be about Kat and her wedding and her happily ever after. And then I just started writing and I had it all outlined. And Mays and Walker took this thing and ran with it. And I had no choice but to follow their story because the more that I figured out about them, the more amazing their backstory was. And I had to tell it. I never intended for him to have that much time or, or sexy appeal and I certainly didn't ever intended to give him and Maze any sort of ending together. But I'm telling you, it just had to happen the way they were telling me the story it felt like. <laughs> they were saying, no, this is how we wanted it to go. So their backstory really is amazing. Eliza and I were laughing when we were talking about the book in the beginning because we were saying that, like, the fact that they got married by an Elvis impersonator isn't even a spoiler. Like, that's amazing. <laughs> and a long time ago, this is like in, way in their past. And they haven't really spent any time together since for reasons that you'll find out in the book. And then they come back together like 10 years later or whatever it is for Kat's wedding. And it doesn't matter how much time has gone by. When you know someone at a core level like you do when you're in middle school age, like the friends you had in middle school, they got to know you in a way that no other friends now in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s get to know you. You're just not ever that open again. So it doesn't matter how much time have gone by since they've seen each other, they know each other. And so I just really loved forcing them to almost fall in love again. Yeah. So sort of on that note of what that sort of time in your life is like, these four characters are forever bonded by the tragic death of Caitlin's younger brother, Michael. So what are the ways that that experience, that loss continues to affect these characters? I think it affects each of them profoundly in different ways because each of them had a different part in what happened. And, and you know, May's com coming from a place of guilt and Walker coming from a place of where he almost died too. And then Kat coming from a place of innocence, not really knowing what had happened. I just, I really loved exploring how one, the same death, this person who meant so much to each of them could affect all four of them so differently. And it makes them react differently to each other. You know, when you're coming from a place like mazes of, of guilt, um, whether it's founded or not, you are almost a, like a cat cornered. And yeah. You don't want to talk about it. And you're coming from a place from Walker, who's mysterious, and we don't know a lot about him. And he doesn't, you know, he's um, a word miser. So I just, I really had a lot of fun with that. That's great. You're listening to the Book Club Girl podcast where our guest this week is Jill Shalvis, whose book, The Forever Girl, is available now. Coming up on the Book Club Girl podcast, Jill answers more questions. And later in the show, we ask her about her literary white whale. So stick around. This episode of the Book Club Girl podcast is brought to you by Band of Sisters, the new historical World War I novel by Lauren Willig about a group of young women from Smith College who risk their lives in France, inspired by a true story. Band of Sisters is available now wherever books are sold. Welcome back to the show. This episode, we're speaking with Jill Shalvis, author of The Forever Girl. 
So Jill, my understanding is that you've written other books set in Wildstone, which is the town where this this story takes place. Can you tell us a little bit about that world and why you've chosen to return there? Yes, I actually should say that Wildstone is not really a series. I wrote seven or eight books set in the same area, but they are only connected by the setting. The setting was so vast to me. It has the beach, it has ranching town community, it has uh, wineries, it has um, small town appeal in a, a large way, and there's lakes. So to me, it was so big and so perfect. I set seven books there, but the seven books are not connected by characters at all. So you can read any of the Wildstones in any order. You can start with The Forever Girl, even though it's book seven or eight, it doesn't matter. You're not, I promise, you're not gonna miss anything. So it was just a way for me to, to keep this world that I had created alive. Can I ask you, does Boomer show up in other books, other Wildstone books? Boomer, who is really just a walk-on character, he doesn't ever have his own story. He is the bartender at the local Whiskey River Bar and Grill. and. So he's a way for me to inject humor into maybe a serious scene here and there. Yep. Yes, he's, he's appeared in at least three or four of the books. So we've already discussed that Walker, Maze, and Heather were all foster children. What inspired you to write about the foster system? I don't know if I set out to write about the foster system necessarily. I think it was more about what happens to you when something tragic happens to you at a very young age and you're bonded with these people in a way that you're not legally bound to. You're not family with these people. You're not blood. I just wanted to see what would happen if they would put themselves in a family situation regardless of not being related by blood, and they did. I just thought that was the cutest, most heartwarming thing ever. Out of all of this, out of the tragedy that they all started from, they gained something so big, something that all of them were missing. The mom, Shelly, seems also so integral to that. I mean, she only has a few lines in the book, but she's such a powerful presence in their lives. Yeah, I actually wasn't going to put her in at all. And then I, re- I realized that she was kind of the, the key. She was the one that's, you know, let them all in. So I did go end up putting her into it. I find that when there's so many characters, it's hard. So I tried to not do a cast of thousands, and this was already becoming that. So she has a small role, but it was a critical role. Mm-hmm. These are four characters who have kept a lot of secrets and withheld a lot of feelings and personal information from each other over the last few years. Do you think your characters all learned a lesson about trust and openness, or at least they're on that path by the end of the book? I I think that they're on the path by the end of the book. I do think that the story opens and we think, oh, these are this close group of four people who spent so much critical time together. But the truth is that they did do that and then they scattered wide And now they're coming back together as adults and trying to find that same easygoing relationship they all had. I think it took the whole book to get there. And I think it ended in different, it certainly ended differently than I had planned, but I think it ended in the right way. I love that. So we see that you are a prolific writer, but we want to know about your next book. Oh, that's easy. I have it already done and just finished it too. It's um, Love for Beginners and it comes out in June. I guess I started this book with the question, what would happen if you had to start your entire life over, including your love life, your professional life, everything? Not because you want to, but because you had to. So I started with that question and then a storyline came to me. So the heroine comes out of a coma. She's in a coma, she's in an accident and she's in a coma for two months. And when she wakes up, her fiance is with her best friend and she's lost her job, not because they're mean, but because someone had to fill that spot and she can no longer be a dance teacher because of her injuries. Uh. 
which she has recovered from, but not enough to dance professionally or anything like that. So she literally, the story starts on day one, waking, getting out of the rehab and having to start her life over. Is she going to do it the same? Is she going to make changes? I just thought it was such an interesting question to ask somebody. Like, what would you change if you could? Totally. That's a great premise. I'm sucked in. So Jill, we have one final question for you. It's the question that we ask all of our guests on the podcast, which is what is your literary white whale? Meaning what is a book that you've always meant to read or one that you've started reading and have never finished? Oh, so many. I mean, <laughs> I'm not a fan of the hardcore literature classics as in general. So you could probably pick one of them and I could say that'd be my white whale. I guess the one that comes to mind the most is because I almost failed an English class because of it um, was Moby Dick. I just couldn't do it and I nearly failed an English class and to make up the credits I went to a creative writing class instead and the teacher told me not to quit my day job and now here I am like 50 books on the New York Times bestseller list. (laughs) But I love that story because I feel like so many people who are good at what they do now who are like known for what they do and are held up as the epitome of that were discouraged and they overcame that and I think that's great that you have that story. I do and I also could probably wallpaper my whole house with rejections that I'd had before I got started trying to get started probably my house my neighbor's house the whole street (laughs) so I guess the point is like don't ever give up if you believe in it I love it that's such a great note to end on thank you so much Jill for joining us this was such a great conversation I appreciate you having me that was Jill Shalvis whose book the forever girl is out now To find out more about Jill's books and how to buy them, head to bookclubgirl.com, where you can also find links to everything else mentioned in this episode. Like what you heard? Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, give us a rating and leave a review. We read them on the show. Another way to help spread the word about the Book Club Girl podcast, tell a friend. It really helps others to find us. You will hear from us again in two weeks when we'll be speaking with Laura Littman, author of The Lady in the Lake, a terrific murder mystery that I read last summer. And so I'm particularly excited to speak with Laura. Ooh, I can't wait to read it. Please stay in touch with us between episodes. We're both on Instagram. You can find us at Tavia Reads and at Eliza is Reading. And of course, at Book Club Girl. You can also join into our next conversation. We're going to be interviewing Alyssa Cole, author of the New York Times bestselling thriller, When No One Is Watching. So if you have questions for Alyssa, you can email us, thegirls at bookclubgirl.com, or post in the comments in our Facebook group, or you can leave us a voicemail, 212-207-7336. We are not like people who don't like getting calls. You can call us anytime. We get very excited. Before we go... Thanks so much to Charles de Montebello, who produced today's episode, and to Jill Shalvis for setting up at home to record with us today. Until next time, I'm Eliza. And I'm Tavia. Happy reading. Maze's maid of honor to-do list. Keep the gas tank full, just in case Caitlin needs a getaway car. Maze led the way into the Whiskey River Bar and Grill, holding Kat's hand. Thanks for not listening to me about no bachelorette party, Kat said, but I'm not really feeling the whole social thing. No worries, it's just me and Heather. God, I love you, Kat said with feeling. A back corner booth had been decorated with streamers, balloons, and a string of lights that up close and personal, Maze could see were shaped like little penises. 
she slid a look at Heather, who just laughed and said, you're welcome. They were served by the owner of the bar himself, Boomer Nichols. He brought a large pitcher of strawberry daiquiris to their booth, smiling when Mays pointed to the string of lit penises with a raised eyebrow. Standard bachelorette party decorations, he said, hugging Caitlin. We keep them handy for just such events. Wait until you see the cock cookies. Oh my God, Caitlin muttered, turning beet red. Seriously? Double grande, babe, he said, just for you. Heather raised her hand. Mays laughed. What? If I ever get married, I want double grande chocolate cock cookies at my bachelorette party. Mays took a hold of the pitcher of daiquiris. Before I pour, we need a quick game of truth or dare. Caitlin shook her head. I definitely need alcohol before that game. Just play along for a second. Heather said, knowing she and Mays needed a truth from Caitlin, a very specific truth. Fine, Caitlin said, dare. Are you sure? Mays asked, a truth will be easier, trust me. Heather nodded sagely. Nope, Caitlin said, shaking her head. I want a dare. That was curious enough on its own, but given what Mays had found back at the house in Kat's bathroom trash, she was going to press the issue. Fine, I dare you to get up on the bar and do stand-up comedy. But I'm not funny, then you should take truth. Oh my God, truth then. Heather leaned in, tell us a secret. Mays nearly laughed, because seriously, Heather and her secrets. But she didn't laugh, because Caitlin was holding a secret, and it was scaring Mays. Caitlin looked down at her diamond engagement ring. Okay, truth. She drew a deep breath. I wish I'd given this more thought, which I can't believe I just said out loud. She thunked her head on the table a few times. Careful, Mays said, you'll knock something loose. I wouldn't mind knocking myself into another life. Hey, is it considered premeditated if you drink yourself into a coma on purpose? So you do wish you weren't getting married, Mays said softly. Moving on, Kat said tightly. Your turn, Mays, truth or dare, and pour the damn drinks. Not quite yet, Mays said, holding on to the pitcher. You've got a bigger secret. You have to tell us the biggest one. Caitlin squeezed her eyes shut. Okay, fine. So I had a little teeny tiny thing happen last year. And yes, maybe my doctor called it a breakdown, but I prefer the word exhaustion. Maze and Heather stared at each other because that was so not the secret they'd been expecting. You had a breakdown? A year ago? Heather asked. Maze reached for Kat's hand. Are you okay? Of course. Kat. May said softly, look, it was just me holding everything in as always, and I finally burst. And Dylan, she gave a small smile. I know you won't believe this, but he was amazing. He got me through it. He took me to a therapist, and I got on some meds, and I'm good now. She nodded earnestly to their faces. Totally good. Mays put a hand on her chest. I'm so sorry. We didn't know, but that's no excuse. You were all alone. I wasn't alone, I had Dylan, and I know you guys aren't crazy about him, but he's really been very good to me. She paused, then cocked her head. And why do I have the feeling that's not the secret you were expecting either? Again, Mays and Heather looked at each other, Mays still holding onto the pitcher. 
Oh my God, Kat said. I'm not a fragile little snowflake, just tell me. Right before your 911 text, we found a pregnancy test kit in the bathroom trash, Heather said, and then clapped her hands over her mouth. Maze gave her a long look. Right, Heather said from between her fingers. Let Caitlin tell us. I always forget the important parts. Caitlin's eyes narrowed. What were you doing in my bathroom? I've been borrowing your good face cream, Heather admitted, and Maze has been borrowing your magic mascara. Oh my God, Maze said to Heather. Seriously? She sighed and turned back to Caitlin. So we're makeup thieves, get over it. Now spill about the pregnancy test. You didn't look at the results? That would have been rude, May said. Kat laughed and shook her head. So there are boundaries then, good to know. She drew a deep breath. I'm not. She tugged the pitcher out of May's hands and poured them all very large glasses. The end. Why doesn't it feel like the end? Heather asked quietly. Because, Caitlin's eyes went misty, because I wanted to be pregnant. So maybe you actually try next time, Heather said. Caitlin shook her head. You guys heard Dylan. He doesn't want to have my babies. Actually, I'm not sure he ever did. Cat, Maze gripped her hand tightly. You know you have to talk to him about this, right? Like before you say I do, the day after tomorrow. I know, she lifted her glass, but I don't want to think about it anymore right now. Maze nodded, but she felt sick with worry and couldn't zip it. Because if you don't talk about it with him and it turns out you're right, maybe you shouldn't. Maze, I know. Believe me, I know. So, not right now. Caitlin downed her drink, waited for everyone to do the same, then refilled their glasses and flagged Boomer down for a new pitcher. Now drink and be merry, or I'll find better drink mates. So, they drank. Two hours in, they'd consumed the cookies, played pool, and were on their third pitcher of daiquiris. The tiara was no longer sitting straight on Kat's head. Maze didn't know if she was drunk or on a sugar high. Truth or dare, Caitlin said with rum-fueled enthusiasm to Maze. Shit, the last time Maze had played this game, it had been with Walker in Vegas. They'd been at the bar, which was where all her problems always started, when he dared her to kiss him. Damn him for being such a good kisser. Truth, she said firmly. How bad could it be? But Caitlin was looking very pleased with herself, giving May's pause. Dare, she corrected quickly. Too late. Are you ever going to let yourself fall in love? May's closed her eyes. You gotta answer, Kat said. It's the rules, and I'm the bride-to-be. You're not allowed to disappoint the bride-to-be. So, are you? going to ever let yourself fall in love? Maze opened her eyes. Been there, done that, and it didn't end well for me. Both Caitlin and Heather stared at her in shock. You were in love? Past tense? Kat asked, like, with Jace? Maze avoided Heather's gaze, because of course Heather already knew what Kat didn't, that she and Jace had never been a thing. Nope, not Jace. Maze pointed to Heather. Your turn. Oh, no, you don't, Kat said, leaning forward. No way, more info, stat. Yes, more info, stat, Heather parroted. Maze gave her a long look, silently reminding her that in spite of the fact Heather hated secrets, she was keeping one of her own. 
that she and Jace were exploring a relationship with each other. Heather flushed and bit her lip. Kat's gaze was on Maze, deep and thoughtful. Does this have anything to do with you and Walker coming into the house in the middle of the night? Heather gasped and turned to Maze. Really? And yay, about time. She lifted a hand to high-five Maze. Maze just looked at her, and Heather shrugged and high-fived herself. Come on, Maze, Kat said. Talk. What is this, high school? Kat smiled. Did you know that when you and Walker are in the same room, the tension's so high, you could provide enough natural electricity for the whole town? Hell, the whole state. That's nothing new, Maze muttered. Maybe not, but the sexual tension is. Maze grimaced. That others had seen it was more than a little bit embarrassing. And once again, memories of the previous night, alone with him up on the cliffs, washed over her. His hand fisted in her hair as he'd moved over her, his rough voice in her ear, making promises he'd absolutely kept. How she'd sunk her teeth into his muscled shoulder, trying and failing to keep from panting his name over and over like he'd wanted, making him groan and lose himself in her every bit as much as she'd lost herself in him. Here was the thing about being with Walker. He was magic. He knew when to be gentle, when to be not gentle. And she hadn't been the only one who hadn't been able to keep quiet either, only he hadn't tried to hide from her not one little bit, and hell, if that wasn't one of the sexiest things about him. She sighed. Fine, you want a real truth from me? I don't know shit about falling for someone, or if I'll ever feel it like I should. But yes, Walker and I were together last night, and it wasn't our first time. Years ago, we had a drunken night in Vegas. There, two truths for the price of one.